and welcome again to another episode of the Enter the Bible podcast, where you can get answers or at least reflections on everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Katie Langston. And I'm Catherine Schipperdecker. And today we're doing another lightning round episode, uh, which, yeah, cue lightning sound effect. I guess lightning doesn't really make a sound as much as thunder does. But anyway, uh, we are um, answering multiple questions uh, in this episode um, that have all been submitted to us on our website at enterthebible.org. And there, when you go to the website, you'll see a little button at the top of the screen that says, ask a question. And if you would like to submit a question, you can go there. We read every question and try to answer uh, as many as we can. So thanks to those of you who have submitted questions. Today, we're going to be asking, responding to three questions. One is, what's up with the numbers in the Bible as in the actual digits, not the book of numbers? (laughs) Two, how do I explain the binding of sins to an elementary school class? And the third question is about the Bible passages found in Isaiah 53, also known as like the suffering servant passages. Is that Jesus? Who is that referring to? So those are the questions we're going to tackle in, you know, lightning round style. Um, And we're going to start with that first one about numbers in the Bible. What is their meaning? Like seven is completion. Do, are there other 40, 40 seems to be one, 40 days and 40 nights, 12, 12, three. Three. What do they mean? What does it mean? Is it a secret code? And if I can decipher it, then I can figure out when the end of days is upon us. Well, uh, no, uh-uh. I don't think so. So, so there's, there's been a lot uh, <laughs> written on this, and I think probably exponentially more since the internet came to be. Like, <laughs> you could go down a really deep rabbit hole. Do you mean people put crazy things on the internet? Is oh, that what yeah. you're implying? Oh, yeah. Not what? us. Not no, us. we put good things on the internet, but yeah, okay, yeah. other people. Yeah, I hear you. So, so there's a couple things here. One is, um, and then it's, it's not a modern phenomenon, right? There's since, well, a long time ago, uh, both Jews and Christians, probably people in other religions, but certainly Jews and Christians have engaged in this kind of mystical, trying to find mystical meaning in uh, the numbers in the Bible, and not just the the actual numbers, which we're going to get to in just a minute, but there's also this um, this this practice, numerology, or uh, sometimes called gematria, where uh, in both Greek and Hebrew, so Old Testament written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek, um, letters can be used as numbers, or maybe put it better this way: each letter has a numerical value. Just like on our old text, our old phones, when we would use the T9 texting. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Before that. I only started texting like three years ago, Katie. So you used to have to tap each number because there was like a number and then, you know, to ABC. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like that? Yeah, kind, that kind, kind of like, of, kind but of like the other that? way, but the okay. other way around. Yeah. So okay. like, for, okay. for instance, the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet are Aleph and Bait. So Aleph equals one and Bet equals two, right? Nice. Same thing in Greek, Alpha and Beta, right? Alpha equals one, Beta equals two, so on and so forth, right? 
Yep. So, uh, so lots of people have tried, you know, to take a name or uh, a, a verse in the Bible or something and figure out the numerical value of the letters and then assign some mystical meaning to them. But that's kind of, I mean, it can be fun. It can be, you know, like a party trick, but um, probably you could write not. the Da Vinci Code about it. You could yeah, write a kind of Da Vinci novel. Code-y, like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, never really panned out, right? Right. I mean, no one so far has been able to predict the last day, the end of the world. So, so the, the more interesting thing, I think, is what you already referred to, right? That there's this, these recurring, these numbers that seem to be pretty important, uh, in the Bible. So seven, uh, is, is one of those, uh, 12 is another one, 40, um, and of course we can't forget 666. Yeah. 666 is a scary one, right? Yeah. That is from the book of revelation. So let's, let's take it, each of them in turn, right? So right. seven, uh, is, is a big one, especially in the old Testament, especially in books like Genesis and Leviticus, which, um, were probably written and or influenced a lot by the priestly uh, writers uh, yep. in Israel. And so seven, seven is really the number of completion. So there's seven days of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, God says it, it is good seven times. Um, the, uh, the Sabbath is the seventh day uh, of the week. Or, uh, sorry, the, the Sabbath is the seventh day, right? And, right. and is the, the crowning day of the week. Um, there's uh, seven years of plenty in Joseph's oh, yeah. dreams uh, in the yeah. story of Joseph at the end yep. of Genesis. Yep. Uh, uh, not Sorry, not in Joseph's dreams, in Pharaoh's dreams, right? Uh, seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Um, and then it, it continues in the New Testament. So um, Matthew 18, 22, that passage where, where Peter says to Jesus, how many times can, should I forgive someone who mm-hmm. sinned against me seven times? Right. So Peter's, tra- Peter's being generous, right? Should right. I like forgive seven them seven times? times? Like, uh, and Jesus says, no, 77 times or 70 yeah. times, seven times. Yeah. So, you know, uh, and maybe an infinite number of times, um, or forgive them completely. Right. Cause seven yeah. is the number of completion. And then of course, in revelation, you have a lot of Seven comes up a lot though too. There's seven the letters to the seven churches. There's yep. seven seals. There's seven angels. Lots of things like that. So seven uh, seven appears a lot. Probably well it, it, as a as a symbol of kind of a completion or perfection. Yeah. So yeah, there there is a little bit of interest. So uh, the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis one yeah. one. Okay. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah. Is seven words in Hebrew? What? Yeah. So there is some of that. Mind blown. Mind blown. So what about like three or forty? Well, forty forty seems associated with um, like a long time, right? Like forty days time. and forty nights. Yeah, forty years. A 40-year reign, like King David is said to have ruled 40 years, is is a, a very long reign, right? Yeah. Whether that's whether that's whether he actually reigned for 40 years, we don't know, but 
you know, that's a that's a just a kind of a again kind of a number of completion, but but to indicate a really long time. So yeah. the Israelites wander in the wilderness uh, for forty years. Again, a very long time. Uh, Jesus is in the wilderness and is yeah. is tested by uh, or tempted by Satan for forty days and forty nights. The the rains come for forty days and forty nights in right. the story of Noah and the flood. 40 does, it, it seems to imply a really long time, but it also seems to be associated with times of testing, maybe, or trial, yeah. or tribulation, right? 40 years in the wilderness, mm. 40 days in the wilderness for Jesus, you know, 40 days of rain. Um, that's not true completely, right? David reigning for 40 years, it's not a time of trial or tribulation, but... Um, but yeah, it's it's a again a kind of a kind of whole number, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, the the time of testing is complete after forty days mm-hmm. and forty nights, or forty years in the wilderness. So. Mm-hmm. And then the number twelve, um, those twelve sons of Jacob who yeah. head up the twelve tribes of Israel, those twelve disciples uh, in the Book of Revelation. There's a hundred and forty-four thousand. Oh yeah, uh, that are those are the only ones that get to heaven, right? No, no, but they are. <laughs> I'm annoyed. They are. They, they're <laughs> kind of marked with the uh, with the mark of the Lamb of yeah. Christ. Yeah. Uh, so you know, if you remember your multiplication tables, right? 144, 12 times 12. Yeah. Okay. So again, kind of a number of completion. Um, but 12 seems uh, also. To have something to do maybe with authority or governing, right? The 12 sure. tribes, the 12 yeah. sons, the 12 disciples. Yeah. Um, there's 12 gates in the New Jerusalem in Revelation. I keep mentioning Revelation because Revelation has a lot of numbers in it. Right. And, well, and because, a lot of that's pulled from the Old Testament, right? Exactly. Yeah. Revelation of all the books of the New Testament, uh, Hebrews and Revelation really are, are really dependent on the Old Testament. Yeah. And so uh, Revelation, the book of Revelation pulls in those numbers from, from the Old Testament. Speaking of Revelation and numbers, what about 666? <laughs> yeah. The sign of the beast. It is. You, you're not old enough to remember this, Katie, but back when I was growing up, there was this these movies, the Omen yeah, movies. I, 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 I remember them. those. Not that I've ever watched them because I'm terrified of scary movies. Yeah, me too. I don't like I don't like horror movies. I've never mm-hmm. seen them. But yeah, the number six 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 was big. Then right, the the baby, the child of Satan was marked with six six six. If I remember that movie right. Anyway, yeah. Well, so we won't go into a lot of detail there because there's already a great um, video uh, audio on EnterTheBible.org where our friend and colleague Craig Kester uh, had talked about this passage. It comes from Revelation 13, 18, and 666 is the mark of the beast, or the number of the beast. Um, And Craig says, uh, I'll just read the verse. Uh, This calls for wisdom. Let anyone with understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. So uh, it's the Craig says in that video, and again, I'll refer you to that, that, that the, the word for calculate here, let, um, let anyone with understanding calculate in the Greek refers to the practice of gematria, which I mentioned at the beginning ah, of this, uh-huh. right, where you assign 
uh, where each letter has a number assigned to it. Yep. Uh, and in this case, I said that doesn't really pan out before, but in this case, it does pan out that uh, 666 or 666 is, uh, is, is the sum of the letters uh, that spell out uh, Caesar Nero or Nero Caesar in mm-hmm. Hebrew. So Nero, of course, as our listeners probably remember, is was one of the Roman emperors who was particularly cruel and particularly um, hard on Christians, really uh, killed a lot of Christians or was responsible for the killing of a lot of Christians and persecuted the early Christians. And so uh, the writer of Revelation or the the angel or whoever is narrating this um, is probably referring to Nero uh, when they talk about the number 666. Because again, the title um, uh, Caesar Nero or Emperor Nero in Hebrew uh, equates to the letters add up to the number 666. So whether or not, well, the, the writer of Revelation seems to be saying, look, you want to see evil? You want to see the beast? Look at this guy, right? Yeah. This is what evil looks like. Yeah. Someone yeah. who's killing God's people. Yeah. And and we will put a link to that video as well in the show notes so that you can check that out because uh, Craig does a great job um, with that. So yeah, so numbers, it sounds like for the most part, they're pretty, that you can't use them as secret codes or anything like that. No. But that they do have symbolic meaning in the text um, and it's interesting when you see a number repeated, it, you know, it's interesting to, to kind of look up and explore what that means. And that can add some depth and texture to the, to your reading. Yeah. Cool. All right. Okay. Next, next question. <clears throat> I don't know how lightning that was. Sorry. Yeah, that was, it was longer, but that I might, was, have, I might have said a little or talked a little more than I should. That was still good. It was like a spectacular lightning show, you know, that went on for a while. That's awesome. Um, okay, so Catherine, what is the best way, in your opinion, to explain the binding of sins to an elementary Sunday school class? Um, well, I guess I would say I wouldn't explain. The <laughs> of, I wouldn't attempt to explain the binding of sins to an elementary Sunday school class. I maybe I'm just not a very good teacher, but it seems to me that that's a little above the the what they can comprehend sure uh, elementary age uh so that we could say though that uh just to mention the binding of sins that phrase um and the the verses about it come up in matthew 18 and the the context without going into too much detail the context is about um you know if if a fellow church member sins against you what should you do and so there's this process uh, that, that Jesus lays out uh, in Matthew 18. And at the end of that process, and it has to do, well, you can read it, uh, Matthew 18, starting at verse 15. But then uh, after Jesus explains that, he says, truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my father in heaven for where two or three are gathered in my name. I am there among them. So the, the larger context or the larger um, emphasis here seems to be on Jesus handing over some authority to the disciples or, or telling them that 
you know, as they are gathered in community, um, God will grant them uh, what they what they need, what they ask for, what they um, what what the church seeks, um, according to God's will, of course. Yeah. And so there's been different interpretations of this verse, and it I think probably the consensus is um, it's about sin, right? What you bind on earth, what you loose on earth, uh, has to do with with granting forgiveness or announcing forgiveness, not really granting, but announcing forgiveness of sin. Uh, what you loose on earth uh, will be will be loosed in heaven. So to me, it emphasizes the the, the crucial importance of confession and forgiveness and that yeah. word of forgiveness yeah. that is spoken uh, in, in many worship services, right? Uh, hopefully regularly in, yep. in your own church's worship service, that word of forgiveness that is offered to re to, to loose the bonds of sin. Yeah. And that, and that we are, and that we are to forgive one another, right? And when we forgive, God also is forgiving, right? God is forgiving. God is um, honoring that forgiveness uh, as as we also extend it. And that that's kind of the point of the church in our community. That's one of the main things that we're kind of called and commanded to do, to, to forgive, to forgive one another. Yeah. Um, Which is certainly a topic you can talk about with elementary age children. Definitely talk about that with elementary age children, that, yeah, that we forgive. Yeah, that God forgives and then God calls us to forgive. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that that's where I would go, I guess, instead of dwelling on the what does the binding, you know, what does this binding. kind of esoteric yeah. yeah. Uh because frankly, you know, there's been a lot of debate about it. So um, but but emphasizing the larger context about being in community and and the importance of forgiveness in community, I think is is very relevant. Uh, to any age group, including elementary Sunday school kids. Yeah. Cool. All right. This last question um, is about the Bible passages found in Isaiah chapter 53. Um, who is Isaiah referring to in these passages? And our question askers uh, says, I always thought Isaiah was referring to our savior, Jesus Christ. However, I was told at our last text study or Bible study that the person Isaiah is talking about is a servant in Israel and not Jesus. Can you clarify this for me? That's a really good question. It is. It's a great question. It, it, it might be helpful just to read some to read of those. a few verses. I won't. I won't read the whole thing. But this is uh, Isaiah fifty-three, starting at verse four. Mm-hmm. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So um, from this is familiar, I'm sure, to most of our listeners because it's read every Good Friday. Yeah. I mean, this is this is one of what uh, scholars call one of the servant songs in Isaiah. There are four of them, um, all in chapters uh, 40 through 55. Mm-hmm. And they're called the servant songs because um, God refers to 
the, the word servant is used and there seems to be this figure, right? Uh, that uh, that in, in, in one case will we'll teach Israel um, uh, that, that God will use it, uh, to, to proclaim God's word, to bring God's uh, kingdom on earth. And, and this is the most extensive of the servant songs. It's, it, it starts really in chapter 52, verse 13, where you find the word servant. See, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. This is the longest of the servant songs, and this is the most famous because, again, from earliest times when Christians read the, this passage, it it was Jesus, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't read, you know, he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. By his bruises, we are healed. Yeah. You can't read that as a Christian without understanding thinking it of, of Jesus. Jesus yeah for sure thinking of Jesus on the cross in particular right and the and the New Testament writers uh read it that way too um you can see this um in in Matthew 8 and 1 Peter 2 those um those those intimations of it in Philippians 2 where uh because later on in the servant song um um God lifts up the servant, uh, right? God says, therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Um, so, you know, the servant is exalted after he goes through the suffering. And so Philippians 2 talks about that same thing where, where, where Christ humbles himself and yeah. suffers death on a cross and then is, is exalted so that right. at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. So... Was Isaiah thinking of Jesus then when he made the, I mean, so what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, the early church looks back and can see in those passages, the coming of Jesus and Jesus' death and resurrection. Do you think Isaiah was thinking about Jesus when he wrote that? And to what extent does it matter either way? So that's, it's, a, it's a great question, and thank you to uh, the, the person who wrote that question. Um, so here's, I think, where we get into, where we need to talk about what scripture is, yeah. right? Like, is scripture, is the Bible um, simply, especially the Old Testament, is it simply somebody else's mail, right, that we're reading, <laughs> right. that we're kind of eavesdropping or opening, Uh is it just, uh, you know, in this case, something from um, probably the sixth century BCE, you know, written mm -hmm. by um, someone from the school of Isaiah the prophet uh, or from the line of Isaiah the prophet? You know, is it just about someone back in the sixth century BC? Right. Or is it that and something more than that? Right. And I think at least what the church has meant by scripture over the centuries, why these texts have been lifted up as, as the word of God is because they have different facets to them or, or different layers, whatever kind of metaphor you want to use so that they can be um, the, the kind of scholarly term is multivalent, right? So that they can have carry more than one meaning at once. So, yeah. The answer to the question of, you know, uh, 
is Isaiah referring to Jesus or to some servant in Israel back when he was writing? The answer is yes and yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we believe, uh, may have probably had in mind someone back in his day who was suffering vicariously for uh, for the nation. And there's, de- there's debate amongst scholars about who Isaiah might have been referring to. And, and the thing, I, I think um, it could be an individual, but we don't know who it could be. Israel as a nation, kind of Israel personified as the suffering servant. Because earlier in Isaiah, Israel is referred to as God's servant. Huh. Uh, so yes, there is probably some historical person or people that is being referred to here by uh, Isaiah in Isaiah 52 and 53. And yes, Isaiah is referring to Jesus. Right. Even if Isaiah himself didn't know it. Right. Right. I think that's the, that's the point that, that the Holy spirit inspires a person to say or to write something more than he may understand himself or herself. Right. Some sure. of the writers may have been women, but that uh, and that and that and that this is a living word that continues to have relevance uh, for people generations and generations after it was originally written. Yeah. Well, and in Jesus, you can certainly see right if 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 Isaiah is talking about let's say the the people of Israel right somehow suffering vicariously for the sake of others. Um, and if Jesus is the anointed one, right, the king of Israel, and then being through his death and resurrection, you know, exalted to be the king of the, of the cosmos, then indeed, you can see how those, you know, that that those aren't contradictions, right, that that's like, sort of the cosmic fulfillment of this okay. word. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. And when we talk about prophets in particular, we often talk about them foretelling, right? I mean, that's kind of the popular imagination of the prophet. Right. They're, they're, te- they're, se- they're Nostradamus. They're seeing the future. They're predicting. Right. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's not. Sometimes they're foretelling, right? Sometimes they're talking about their current circumstances. And sometimes they're doing both at the same time, yeah. which I think is, is true here. So yes and yes. Maybe, yes, some kind of historical figure. We don't know who back in Isaiah's day. And yes, we believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah is also talking about Jesus, even again, even if Isaiah himself didn't know it. So yeah, that's great. So I hope that's helpful. I thought it was. All right. helped. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for those questions, you guys. Yeah, great uh, questions. Listening. Really, really appreciate it. And keep them coming. We'll, we'll do our best uh, to, to answer them. And uh, yeah, we just really, really appreciate your um, participation in this project uh, called Enter the Bible. If you uh, are interested, uh, you can get more high quality courses and commentaries and resources, videos and reflections at enterthebible.org. And be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast app and share the podcast with a friend. Thanks for joining us.